Sometimes we use the expression, so-and-so is acting out. Well, faith acts out. If you find a believer who's walking close to Jesus, they're going to be acting out their faith. Faith is not something that we comfortably, easily sit with and hold in our laps and say, man, this looks good and this feels good. I enjoy talking about it. I enjoy singing about it. I enjoy hearing it preached about. And I'll take it out and look at it every so often, then go on my merry way. Faith acts out. What you just saw in that video is faith deciding to act out. And genuine faith will always act out. Faith loves to act out. And the question I have for you this morning that I want you to think about as we move through this message together is how is God calling you to act out your faith? How is God calling you to act out your faith? Because if you've got faith, you're not going to be content to sit with it. Now, if you've got artificial fake version of it, then you'll be content to sit with it forever. But if you've got the real thing, then you're not going to be content to sit with it. You're going to want to act it out. And God is going to call you and be calling you to act out that faith How is God calling you today and as you move into the future of your life to act out that faith? And let me say that acting out our faith does not hit the pause button just because we're in a pandemic. It may have to take some different expressions, but we don't stop and sit on our faith just because we're in a pandemic. God's got a way He wants to use you. How is God calling you and speaking to you about acting out your faith? Turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. The book of Hebrews chapter 11. And we've been moving through this chapter about faith. We saw that faith is a definite certainty that God gives us about how to serve Him. It is a definite certainty that is based on the character of God and on the promises of God. The promises of God are fulfilled out of the character of God. Faith is grounded in the resurrection, that is, that I know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and because Jesus rose from the dead, I can ground my life in His character, I can live in and out of His promises. Now, as we move through this chapter, last week we encountered Abraham. The writer of this chapter gives us a definition of faith in the opening verses, and then he moves to give us examples of faith from the Old Testament. And so we looked last week at Abraham and how Abraham lived and acted out his faith. And we're going to continue today with the story of Abraham. Now, as you recall from last week, Abraham did not live out the dream for his life. He lived out the call of God for his life. In fact, in Abraham's case, it should be in ours, the call of God became the dream for his life. Instead of us coming up with a dream and asking God to bless it, we need to say, Lord, what is your call on my life? And that will become my dream. The dream for my life is living out the call of God on my life. Now, Abraham lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldees, which is located in what we know today as southern Iraq. He was living in this beautiful city that has all kinds of wonderful things in it, tremendous schools, business, etc., etc. 
However, if you walk out of Ur of the Chaldees and you look to the north, the south, every, all the way around, you do a panoramic view of Ur of the Chaldees, what you will see outside the city walls is nothing but Middle Eastern desert. As far as you can look, it is Middle Eastern desert. And God spoke to Abraham, I believe, over a period of time and worked in his heart and said, Abraham, step outside the city. Look at all this sand. Look at all these miles and miles of sand. Look at the horizon of hot Middle Eastern sand. Abraham, I'm calling you. I'm calling you to leave what's behind you in this wonderful city. And I'm calling you to pack up with your wife and head out into that hot desert. And there... Abraham, I'm going to give you a posterity, even though you're 75 years of age. I'm going to give you a child, believe it or not. I'm going to give you a family. I'm going to give you family to come, generations of family to come, as numerous as the sand that is out there. Abraham, I'm going to give you a lamb. Move out, Abraham. And so Abraham, in faith, believing and trusting in God, moved out of Ur and into that vast, hot, Middle Eastern desert, and every day he trusted the Lord. God didn't tell him exactly where to go. He had to trust God every day when he got up to take a few more steps, move a few more miles in the direction he was taking him. And God began to fulfill promises to him as he began to take that journey. But as Abraham was taking that journey, there came the day that God said to him, Abraham, I'm going to test your faith. In fact, the test that Abraham is going to face, and we're going to look at today, was tougher than anything that he had faced before. It was tough enough to pack up in Ur and move out into that desert. It was difficult enough to live in tents where he had lived in a house. It was tough enough to try to explain to his wife, God's told us to leave, but I can't tell you where we're going. But it was really difficult this day with what God was going to tell him. And sometimes as we move through life, the tests don't get easier. They become more difficult. Faith gets tough. Faith gets difficult. Rarely does it get more easy. And that's where we're going to join the story today. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 17. By faith, Abraham... When he was tested, had to do what? Offered up Isaac, who was his only son. But notice how Abraham is described. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Catch the contradiction there. Your offspring is going to be named through the son that I'm calling you to give up. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Faith sooner or later, is going to take you to the place of being tested. Faith, sooner or later, is going to take you to the place of being tested. Abraham's faith had been growing. 
It had been growing when God first encountered him in his glory there in Ur. It grew every day as God spoke to him and God worked with him. As Abraham moved out of Ur of the Chaldees and responded to God's character and God's promises and moved out a little bit more and took one step after another, every day God strengthened his faith, built his faith, grew his faith. And his faith was growing not only because God was interfacing with him, but his faith was growing because Abraham was obedient. You see, obedience to God grows faith. It's like lifting weights. The resistance of the challenge builds the muscle tissue of faith. The resistance of the challenge and the call of God builds the muscle tissue of our faith. And every time God said, Abraham, Abraham responded by saying, here am I. And Abraham and Sarah had longed for and lived for and waited and yearned for a child. And God came to them at an impossible age in life and said, you're going to have a son. And the son's name is Isaac, which means laughter. And it was really a prophecy because, I mean, they just sat and laughed. When they had the child, they laughed every day as they looked at that little boy running around their house. They were so excited and thrilled to have this little boy. They didn't think they were ever going to have children. And then this child is born, and as he grew up, and he goes through what we call preschool and elementary school, they even laughed and enjoyed probably changing diapers because they had yearned and, and looked for that day. And it takes grace to laugh when you're changing a diaper. But they were enthused and happy about this little boy that God had given them. Then he becomes a teenager, moves into adolescence. They can see him growing up, and they can see him changing, and then God comes to Abraham, we probably think when Isaac was around 16, somewhere between 16 years of age and 20 years of age, and comes to Abraham and begins to work with Abraham and speak to Abraham and say, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac. Abraham probably thought God was going to say, you're going to take him on a trip. I want you to take him up to Mount Moriah, and I want you to build an altar there, and I want you to sacrifice him. And that's when the worship service for Abraham hit the wall. Oh, it was nice to talk with God and hear the promises of God and know the presence of God. It was great to sing about how great God was, but you got to take your son, the most precious person, thing in your life, and sacrifice him. Let's look at verse 17. It says, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up his son. The Greek language that is used in the original of this passage, which this passage was originally written, is a construction that carries the idea that Abraham, by the time he got to the altar, laid Isaac on the altar, and lifted his arm with the knife in it above his son, in his mind and in his heart, already considered it a done deal. In other words, when Abraham laid Isaac on the altar, looked up to God, in his mind and in his heart, he had already gone the distance of saying, He's yours, Lord. And I am taking this step of obedience, and I am 100% committed to it even before I drop the knife into his chest. 
Faith is always going to take us to the place of sacrifice. It's always going to take us to the place of testing. See, so often what we think is the more I trust God, the more I believe God, the more God's going to open up and just throw all these wonderful blessings on me. And I'm going to walk around into the blessings of God. And we love to give testimonies about that, about, oh, God blessed me in this way, that way, and the other way. And that's true. But faith is also going to take us to the place where we get tested. Where we have to decide and choose and prove that our faith really counts for something, that it's real, that it's genuine, that it is more than nice feelings ricocheting through our stomachs, that it's more than the moving of emotions on Sunday morning. Faith takes us to the place of sacrifice. And the paradox of faith is that we have to be willing to offer to God what He's given to us. Mark this down, faith will always take you to an altar where you and I have to put something on that altar. And often what God says to us at that place is what I put into your life, you got to be willing to put on the altar. What I put into your life that maybe you yearn for, you search for, you worked for, you wanted, you've got to be willing to place that on the altar. And that's going to call for courage. And we will only move to that altar when we have received the promises of God, know that God is alive, and we claim and count His power. It's not theory anymore. It is reality. It has to become reality. What is the Isaac in our lives that God is calling us to place on the altar. What is the Isaac in our lives that God is calling us to place on the altar? To say, God, you gave me this. I prayed for it. I asked for it. I wanted it. And now you're telling me I've got to be willing to give this up. I've got to be willing to yield this to you. It may be a relationship. It may be a stage in life. It may be the place where you and I put our security, even our joy. What is it that God is saying to us? You have got to be willing to place that Isaac on the altar because I can guarantee you this. If you walk with the Lord Jesus long enough, you are going to have to place an Isaac on the altar. God's going to speak to you and God's going to work in your life and the Lord, sooner or later the Lord's going to say that particular thing that you asked for, you prayed for, you wanted and I placed in your life, you've got to be willing to give that over. You've got to be willing to walk away from that for my glory and for my honor. Because nothing in your life can take my place and nothing in your life can be a higher priority than me. You see, the Bible says that God is a jealous God. And part of that means that even the good things and the wonderful things that we pray for and we ask for, if we are not careful, we will make idols out of them. They will become more important to us than Jesus. And that's the reason he says you've got to place it on the altar. So that I and I alone matter to you. Notice verse 17, it says, when Abraham was tested, God came to him and said, Abraham, I want you to take your son and I want you to go up to Moriah and I want you to offer him up. Faith does not procrastinate. Faith 
does not procrastinate. And faith does not try to start strike bargains with God. Well, Lord, I, I'll give you 50% obedience. Well, Lord, I'll give you 75% obedience. Well, Lord, I'll do this. So, well, can we do a substitution here, Lord? I, I won't do what you're asking me to do, but I'll go over here and do this, and that'll substitute for that. Abraham does not engage in a bargaining session with God. God says, you take your son, you go to Mount Moriah. He doesn't sit back and say, well, I'll wait a year and do it. Let's think about it and pray about it and fast about it and talk about it. He says, no, the Lord, you're calling me to give up my son. You've asked me to do this. You're requiring this of me, so you've got obedience right now. I'm not going to procrastinate. I'm not going to try to bargain, you know. Hey, Lord, how about the best sheep I've got? How about the best donkey I've got, et cetera, et cetera. You can take me, Lord. No, he says, I'm going to do what you told me to. I'm going to act out, Lord, what you have told me. You want. Now I want you to see in verse 17 how Abraham is described. It says, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And then notice what the author slides in there about Abraham. He who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Important phrase there. He who had received the promises. The promises. Notice the verb that he uses. He who had received the promises. It doesn't say he who had listened to the promises. It says he who had received the promises. There's a huge difference between listening to the promises of God and receiving the promises of God. Listening to the promises of God is I sit back and I say, man, those promises sound great. I love to sing them. I love to hear them. I love to read them. Receiving the promises means that I take them into my life. They become a part of me. I begin to live in them. I begin to live out of them. It is the difference between walking up to, a, let's say, a body of water and looking at it and saying, isn't it beautiful? And jumping in. When you jump in, you commit yourself to it. As long as you stand on the side and look at it, you can admire it, but you don't feel the power of it. You're not caught up in it. You're not being controlled by it. And a lot of times what we want to do is listen to the promises of God and not receive the promises of God. Because when I receive the promises of God, I take the promises into me. They become part of who I am, and I begin to live out of the promises. If God says he's going to do something, I don't just sit back and say, that's nice. I say, God, how can I walk with you in the living out and the fulfillment of those promises? If you say that you're going to meet all of my needs in glory by Christ Jesus, then that means i got to have some needs for you to meet. See, when we listen to the promises, we say this to God, Lord, I, I, I hear that verse that you're going to meet all of my needs In Christ Jesus, according to your riches in Christ Jesus. And that sounds so good, and that sounds so wonderful. Amen. And then I just sort of go and live my life. When I receive that promise into my life, I say, Lord, you have created need. There is need. I recognize the need that is in me, but now I recognize how you are going to fulfill that need in my life. I seek to discern how you're going to fulfill that need in my life. But i got to come to the place of need before I can come to the place of it being fulfilled. You follow what I'm saying? See, what a lot of us want is we want a needless life in faith. And it does not work that way. 
God creates need because I have to trust Him to meet the need. And I have to trust Him how He's going to meet the need in Christ Jesus. Now, allow me to diverge for just a moment and to go from preaching to meddling. All right? One of the areas that I see more Christian people at any age struggle with, and this is relationships. Because all of us have a need to be loved and to be accepted and to be in significant relationships, particularly when it comes to dating and marriage. That is a need. That is a legitimate need. It is a need we have been created with. But this is what a lot of us do. Oh, Lord, I got this need. So, Lord, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to fulfill this need in my life in the way that I want to fulfill it. And this Christianity stuff, God, you are great. But I don't think you're sufficient to meet this need in my life. In fact, I think the world is sufficient and the culture is sufficient. And that person I got my eye on is sufficient to meet that need in my life. So I'm not really going to follow you and trust you in this. That stuff's good for Sunday morning, but it don't really work great during the week. So we don't trust the Lord on that. We don't follow them. We don't even think God's sufficient to pull it off in that area. And that's the reason, put it bluntly, we Christians, a lot of times in our marriages and in our dating are as screwed up and messed up as the world is because we're not trusting God any more than they are. You look at most Christians, when it comes to their personal lives, they don't trust Jesus any more than some lost person does. You see, if I'm walking in faith, what I will say is, God, this is a need, and you said you would supply all of my need according to what? Your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to look for you to do that. Now, notice what happens in verse 17. Because God supplies, but he does it on his schedule, in his way, and with his eternal resources. Verse 18, it says, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Abraham walks up there and he says, God, you gave me a promise. And the promise was that I was going to have this great nation, this tremendous family that was going to come through Isaac. And now you're requiring that Isaac be killed. I don't understand you, God. Your command seems to be contradicting your promise. Follow me on this. I cannot state this strong enough. And it's the promise of God took him to the resurrection. The promise of God took him to the resurrection. And all the promises of God will take us to the resurrection. All the promises of God will take us to the resurrection. We're going to see that in just a moment. Because if he rose from the dead, then he can pull off anything. And if he rose from the dead, he's got the power over everything. Now notice verse 19. Fascinating word that's used here. It says in verse 19, speaking of Abraham, he considered that God was able even to raise him, that is Isaac, from the dead. He considered that God was able even to raise him, that is Isaac, from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. The word that is translated, he considered, is a 
fascinating word. I, I don't have the Greek word in front of me to pronounce it correctly. But it is the Greek word from which we get the English mathematical word logarithm. And it means to calculate or compute. This is what Abraham did. Abraham did not take a leap into the dark. Abraham didn't go up there and say, I hope against hope that God finds a way to pull this off. Abraham carefully calculated and reasoned his decision. He calculated that God was capable of accomplishing a resurrection, if that's what it came to. Now, how did he do that? Abraham reasoned and calculated. And the reason I'm putting so much emphasis on this is for some reason we've got it in our heads that trusting God means that we take reason and throw it out the door. We take calculation and throw it out the door. And we just jump out there and just hope for the best. That is not the idea here. He uses a mathematical expression to say that he carefully calculated that God could pull off a resurrection of his son if that's what it required. How did he get there? What did he do to reason? What did he reason through? Several things. Follow me on this. He reasoned that God could do this because of God's reputation. That God had already demonstrated his power to do, about, to do anything that he wanted to do. He reasoned off of the power of God. That if God could create life, he could sustain life, and he could bring life back again from the dead. He reasoned through the glory of God, in that the same God who created this world could create life and do whatever he set about doing. And he reasoned off of the love of God, that if God really loved him, and if God really loved Isaac, then Isaac dying on that altar wasn't going to be the end of the story because the love of God never ends at death. Death cannot stop or hold back the power of God or the love of God. Death cannot hold back the power and the love of God. And so he reasoned that the love of God was stronger than the test. Listen, whatever you face in life, you need to calculate and reason that whatever God calls you to, his love will get you through. That he never stops loving you through whatever you got to go through. Faith is audacious. Because it is grounded in the resurrection. I want you to listen to John's gospel chapter 8 and verse 56. Jesus is speaking here. John's gospel chapter 8 and verse 56. Jesus says, your father Abraham, now notice what he's going to say here, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. What was Jesus telling the folks there? He was saying... And we don't know how God did this with Abraham, but he enabled Abraham to look forward thousands of years into history 
to see the life and the ministry, the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Abraham walked up to that altar and laid his son on the altar and raised the knife up, he said, if I even have to take his life, I've already seen that if God can raise his son from the dead, he can raise my son from the dead. You see, what God did at Mount Moriah that day was he brought the resurrection of his son that was yet way in the future right into the middle of it. And Abraham did what he did based on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw it and was glad. And you and I live this side of the resurrection of Jesus. That's why I say all the promises of God flow from the resurrection. I know that God can pull it off. He, God can do what he set his mind to. God can do what he's committed himself to do because the resurrection proves he's already done it and he will do it. And the Lord Jesus Christ, when he hung on the cross, after the blood had just about drained out of his body and seconds before it was over with, Last words, look to the Father, and he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Now, when he did that, he knew there was a Father to hear him. He knew there was somewhere that the spirit he was commending was going, and it was into the hands of the Father. And that's why he had the faith to say, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And do you know what that sounded like to the crowd? He's not in the hands of the Romans. He's not in the hands of the Jewish priests who've been hollering for him. His spirit is in the hands of the Father. And ultimately, that's what you and I live in and out of with the promises of God and out of the resurrection. Our lives are not captive to whatever is coming after us. They are captive to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our spirit is commended to Him. Faith acts out. Faith is tough. Faith is audacious. Faith is going to take us to the place of sacrifice going to take us to the place of testing. It means that we have to learn to live out of the promises of God. And it means that we have to be willing to lay whatever we got that God's calling us to lay on that altar for him. You see, Abraham, when he laid Isaac on the altar, was saying to God, He's in your hands, God. He belongs to you. And when God calls us, whatever that Isaac is, to lay it on the altar, we got to say to the Lord, Jesus, it's in your hands. It, he, whatever, belongs 100% to you. And if God gives it back to you, which he did with Isaac, I mean with Abraham, we recognize in an even greater way that we don't own anything, that he owns it all. We don't own anything. He owns it all. And we got to handle it so as to glorify Him. How's God calling you to act out your faith? Let's pray.
or Jesus, whatever Isaac it is that you are calling us to lay on the altar, help us to hear that direction from you. It may be a relationship, it may be a place in life, it may be a talent and ability that you've given us. Different for all of us, but God, whatever it is, help us this day to lay it, Lord, on the altar. Help us, Jesus, to give it to you. Lord, we are in a season right now, none of us anticipated and none of us expected, but it is a season in many ways where we are having to lay some stuff on the altar. And Lord, we can either stand back and try to hold on and be angry and frustrated and confused, or we can just say, Lord, here it is. We're going to give it to you as an offering. Take it, Jesus, and use it however you will to your glory. And Lord, your promises always take us back to the power and the glory of the resurrection. And God, the safest place in an odd way for our Isaacs is to be on the altar, not in our hands. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to give you a moment to in silent prayer to let the Lord God speak to you about whatever it is that you are holding in your life that he is asking you to place on an altar for him. Whatever the test is, Allow him to identify that to you and for you to begin to talk with him about, Lord, I need to place this on the altar. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here or listening through any means that's provided, we ask that if you need to give your life to Jesus, if you need to ask him for the forgiveness of sins and Decide this day that you will follow him. But I want to encourage you to lay your life before him. And say to him this day, Lord Jesus, I will follow you. And I take all that I know of myself, the good, the bad, whatever, and just give it to you, Jesus. Lord, in the test, Help us to hear your voice. Know your presence. And know, Father, the power of your resurrection. In your name, amen. Let's stand together and worship the Lord.